Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Self-Control Through Torah. I'm David Gottlieb, a historian of Judaism and a member of the faculty in Jewish studies at the Spurtis Institute for Jewish Learning and Leadership in Chicago. And I'm Modia Silva, an author and psychotherapist based in Toronto, Canada. This week, we move to a new midah or character trait. If you've been listening along, you know that Moja and I, who have studied together for almost two decades now, are making our way week by week through the Torah portions uh, from beginning to end of the Torah, spending four weeks on a series of different midah or character traits as outlined in Rabbi Menachem Mendel Leffen's Cheshbon HaNefesh, a guide to self-improvement and character refinement. So we spend four weeks on a trait and uh, read and discuss the Torah portion of the week during the four weeks uh, we spend on each character trait, and then we move on to the next character trait. This is one of the weeks when we move on to a new character trait the trait of nikiut or cleanliness. And Moja, I just want to say that um, I see in a lot of the commentary that we read a sort of bifurcation between how the midah of cleanliness is looked at. And just if I could characterize it broadly, one is people focusing on physical cleanliness paraphrasing the old saying that cleanliness is next to godliness, right? That if you don't keep your outer self in order, how can you hope to have your inner self in order? But another uh, more traditional Jewish focus on cleanliness is about an extremely heightened sense of watchfulness over one's spiritual cleanliness. Does that sound right uh, to you? Does that accord with, with what you've read and and thought about this week with regard to Nick Ute? Yeah, absolutely. And I think over the next four weeks, we'll start to see different facets of cleanliness. And um, even what Rab Samson Raphael Hirsch defines cleanliness as, where he says it's to cleanse, but then he also says it's pr- to, to protect through effort. And so to I protect think, through effort. I like that. Yeah. Um, so yes, when you just said before that cleanliness is next to godliness, it reminded me of this comedian that I re- stand-up comedian I remember from the seventies, who said that they say that cleanliness is next to godliness, but he checked in the dictionary, and he found that goggles is next to godliness. <laughs> Goggliness. Goggles. That's a, a whole new mida, mida. Yeah. And you know, <clears throat> so I was also thinking about cleanliness with regard to this week's Parsha, which is Yitro. Uh, and Yitro has uh, a lot to do with order, but order is its own midah in a way, right? So order and cleanliness are related, but they're not the same thing. The reason I say that um, I think of order when I think of Yitro is that Moses's father-in-law Yitro uh, brings Moses, his daughter Moses's wife Zipporah and their and their children back to Mo, uh, to Moses. He sees Moses adjudicating disputes from morning to night, and he says, "What are you doing? You're going to kill yourself. 
and everybody else is going to go crazy. You've got to create leaders over tens, hundreds, and thousands. They'll they'll adjudicate the smaller disputes and the ones that can't be solved come to you so that you don't have to be sitting there from morning to night. That is a kind of executive and administrative insight that Yitro brings to Moses that helps lead to order of the society. But I, I, I'm... Uh, uh, and there's already in this parsha a concern with purity. So that's the other thing I noticed when studying about cleanliness, is that it really has its roots in the Israelite and later Jewish concern with ritual purity. Right? How can you? How can you? Uh, how can you maintain ritual purity if you're not clean? Right. So I agree. We're going to see that later in the parsha as well in the Torah portion where the Israelites are told to change their clothes partway through this ritual of receiving the Ten Commandments. Yes, but, right. But I actually, so we're already starting to tease apart what this word means, what nukiyut means. Um, I want to throw in, to make it even more complex before we try and make it less complex, um, what Masilat Yeshrim has to say about it. So the Masilat Yesharim, The Path of the Just, is a book written by the Ramchal, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato, first published, I think, in, I'm just looking at, in 1740. And just as a side, because this is one of the main texts of the Musar tradition, that um, the Vilna Gaon, who really could be seen as one of the first Musar Rebbe's, of, of our modern time, <clears throat> read this book and then said that if he, if if the Ramchal had lived when when the Vilna Gaon was alive, he would walk across Europe to go find him and learn learn at his feet, basically. Wow. So what we found, what we find though, is that Masilat Sharim, just as a side, uh, for people who aren't familiar with it is a book that looks at different character traits in a ladder. So climbing rungs of a ladder. And then at some point in the not too far past, they found a second manuscript of Masilat Yesharim, of Path of the Just. And they found that the Ramchal had actually written a completely different version of it that was a dialogue between two people. And, wow. And if you That's look so at- That's so Socratic of him. Yeah, um, they found this manuscript in Moscow in a in a um, I forget where, but sort of like a, a library or something like that in Moscow, and um, and so it's interesting to look at both versions of Path of the Just. So instead of going to the traditional one that we've all been reading for years, um, for this for Nukiyut, I went to the other one to the dialogue version to see how it differs and to see if I could learn something to share with our listeners here. This is what I came up with, that what he says is that nikiyut, that cleanliness, um, firstly, it's sort of translated as blamelessness, not cleanliness, hmm. which already is an interesting commentary to translate mm -hmm. it into English as blamelessness. But it's the idea of staying away or eschewing all sins and that if you're free of sin, meaning if you're free of the 365 negative mitzvahs, then you achieve cleanliness. 
And so you do that by focusing on mitzvahs so that you strengthen your rational soul or your intellect and allow your intellect to dominate over your heart, which sounds a lot like Tanya, like what we were studying a few years ago um, with the Chabad text of Tanya. So cleanliness really is about um, recognizing the laws and the ethics of Judaism or of, of life and figuring out how to steer clear of anything that could take us down a path that destroys our relationship with God. And I think this is part of the reason why uh, Jewish tradition so heavily emphasizes the intellect is because the intellect needs to be put, needs to have mastery over uh, the rest of one's uh, organism. Uh, and like anything else, it can lead to excess, right? An excess of cerebral focus can lead to a lack of spirituality and its own forms of corruption. So one always has to be careful. And it's interesting that you mentioned this because I was, uh, there's uh, a chapter in Shmona Perakim Le Rambam, the eight chapters of the Rambam, his sort of ethical discourse. He has a chapter. Uh, on the difference between the eminent person and one who controls his desires. And he contrasts the philosophical position, which holds that uh, the person who who is completely free of desire and the person who has desires but controls them. In the philosophical tradition, it is the person who's completely free from desire, uh, who who is superior. But to the Rambam and to the sages, the person who struggles to control and gains mastery over his desires, so this is a kind of moral cleanliness, which we've been talking about, is actually uh, a more a more elevated um, person. He says, when we examine what the sages say about this, we find that they deem one who wants and yearns to sin, but doesn't, loftier and more perfect than the one who does not yearn and does not suffer in restraining himself from doing those things. In fact, they, the sages, said that the greater and more perfect a person is, the stronger his craving for sins, and the greater his suffering in denying them to himself. And they concluded, the greater the man, the greater his desires for evil. So, I cite this because I think there's an enormous tension in the Musar idea of cleanliness between removing oneself utterly from all forms of temptation, an almost monastic strain that exists in several religious traditions, and the view that we have to live in the world and subject ourselves to temptation and the lack of cleanliness, however you want to define it, that comes with it. Uh, so I sort of, um, you know, in Masilat Yasharim, he builds this sort of ladder, right, of of different midot, talking about what leads to cleanliness. Um, I'm not sure if I can find it. I think uh, you may have it, but he talks about watchfulness leads to zeal, which leads to cleanliness, which leads to separation. And so there is a strong theme in 
what the tradition and what the Musar masters say about cleanliness, that does lead to a kind of monastic separation, right? Ideally, you are so focused on on keeping yourself a pure vessel uh, that you that you guarantee yourself a real struggle with the temptations that the world offers. Yeah, I think um, I, I I struggle with this with this idea of separation. Um, because I learned this from Rev Dov Zinger, who is a Breslov Hasid, who has this beautiful poetic book to help you with your davening, to help you with your prayers. Um, and in that, in the book that I, in the book I have of his, he talks about when you say one of the ble- what some of the blessings we say include a shekhedeshano b'mitzvotav, that you have sanctified us or made us pure with your with your mitzvahs, with your commandments. And what he says is he notices that Kiddushanu is connected to Kiddushin, which is marriage, like the act of marriage, right? And so he's mm-hmm. saying that when you say like when you put on tzitzit or when you put on tefillin, whether you're whoever puts them on, right? Um, That what you're actually saying is not just, oh, I'm putting these on, but you're saying, I join myself. And so we know that Kedusha means, in one way, means to be separate. And so we've got this idea that, oh, I'm losing my train of thought here, but are we separate or are we connected? That's, I mean, that this is a key issue for both you and me, right? You and I have both studied, I don't mean to interrupt, I want you to hold your yeah. train of thought, but but you and I have both studied meditation and mm-hmm. practiced meditation, and we studied meditation in the Buddhist tradition. And in the Buddhist tradition, you're really separating yourself. You, you are launching free of any form of temptation. Right. So, yes. And so this is what the Ramchal, going back to Masil Tisharim, the, the, um, the dialogic version, he says that this is the way you have to work towards cleanliness, that you develop your rational self, your intellect, so that it dominates your heart, so it dominates emotions, it dominates your desires. But it's the desires and it's the heart that actually joins with the divine, joins with God. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. So we are using our intellect to separate ourselves from that which stops us joining. But there is still this notion of joining, of staying connected. That's really beautiful. Um, and it reminds me, it takes me back to Cheshbon uh, HaNefesh, where the whole first rather long first paragraph on the section of cleanliness talks about how we build our framework of perception for the world. And it's actually really beautiful. So I hope you don't mind if I, if I read a, a no, section please. from it, please. He says from the time of his birth, when the sensory organs, the eyes and ears become receptive to the components of the world at large, man progresses from day to day. He sees new things, different species of animals, trees, and herbs, which are different in their nature, their color, their aromas and sizes. He assimilates traces of these impressions into his memory one by one collecting them to build a framework of a private world within the psyche of his animal spirit 
In other words, he's really talking about the way perceptions of reality are built. And what he's saying actually accords with modern neuroscience. We don't see things as we are. We see things as we perceive them. He goes on. He continually adds new forms or previously hidden details of forms, which he had already seen until this small world is almost as sophisticated as is the great world. Afterwards, the intellectual spirit crystallizes within this collection, reigning over it and illuminating it so that it controls this small world, much as the Shekhinah, the Shekhinah exercises its providence over the world at large. It is then that man begins to cleanse his body of the tar and dirt in which he was immersed so as to render his body fit to serve as a receptacle for his supernal soul, which is most fastidious, fastidious and loathes all forms of sordidness. This is absolutely beautiful. And I think um, the important thing about it is that it is that it is a Well, it's in accord with what you're saying. And it's it's beautiful because it says the way we construct our world lifts us out of the mud and filth out of which we literally evolved, right? It is the intellect and the ordering of an understanding of the universe that lifts us um, uh, and makes us yearn for fastidiousness, not just physical, but intellectual and spiritual fastidiousness. Uh, the, the challenge is how to maintain that uh, in a world full of temptations. Uh, I have to confess that thinking about this, I was immediately pulled back by my sort of nefesh behemah, my sort of animal spirit, thinking about all the things that annoy me that I have to try to get clear of. Uh, and, and the trait of cleanliness for me is really about the ability to spiritually engage in the act of cleansing to cleanse yourself of the filth that accretes to you, sort of like the Peanuts character Pigpen, who can get out of the shower and be bathed and clean, and within seconds he's just filthy. I think that is a great sort of image for how much of a challenge cleanliness is. And I think Rabbi Leffen is talking about that. I would love to know your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I think um, I like that Peanuts analogy because as you were reading that, I was thinking, oh, so this is very different than puritanical cleanliness. This isn't absolutely. This isn't yep. judgmental right and wrong. This is really a relational exercise to see if I can create that purity that you talk about so that I can do what I want to do, which is improve my relationships. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that. And as a somatic therapist. I think you are uniquely positioned to understand that cleanliness, we tend to approach these midot as things that we can do individually, but this is relational. This, this is definitely relational. Um, yeah. And it goes back and relational means it goes back to what you were just saying about Buddhism, which very much is an individual activity. I think so. Right. Yeah. 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 So <clears throat> I want to throw one more thing in as well, just to complicate it a bit further, which is the connection to Emuna. And I'm not going to find it so quickly, um, so maybe we'll skip over it. But, but I was again reading in what the Ramchal says that it's that God only want in, in talking about cleanliness. 
there's a line somewhere that he says, which is that God only wants emuna. God only wants um, emuna, we translate as faith, but it could be reliability and dependability. Ne'eman, mm. being, eman is being reliable. And so what he could be saying is that we that when we're striving for cleanliness, which means clarity of mind or purity of mind, that we don't want to get solid three seconds after we've just been in the bath. So we right. want reliability and dependability. Right. And I think that's maybe what Yitro going into the Persia, what Jethro or Yitro will call him, um, notes when he sees that the people keep coming to Moses with every problem, big and small. And Yitro's like, yeah, this isn't going to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. so you think you're helping the community build their level of purity, but it's all going to fall down like a deck of, like a, whatever, a stack of cards. So what's that? What's house that? of cards. A house, house of, of cards. cards. Thank you. Yeah. Like yeah. a, like a house of cards. Um, and then he goes into, okay, Moses, this is what you got to do. You got to build. And I'm so glad you brought that up because this is how he describes the sort of people that Moses has to find. He says, You shall also seek out from among the people capable men who fear God. So this is has to do with what you and I were just talking about with terms of separation. So that was chapter 18, verse 21 in in uh in Exodus. And so capable men, Rashi says that means men of sufficient wealth that they'll be immune to bribes or financial considerations. That's a form of cleanliness who fear God. And fear of God is related to cleanliness in the following way. This is a, a, a quote from the commentary in the uh, in the Eitz Chaim Chumash. Uh, it says in its commentary that doing what is right in God's sight will be more important for these men than popularity among their neighbors. So that is a kind of separation, right? If you're truly clean, you're not going to care what people think. You're going to be above reproach, and you're also going to be above corruptibility. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So having said that, I just thought of something. Um, the Ramchal talks about three things that will essentially destroy your path to cleanliness. And he says the three things are theft, forbidden relations, and speaking badly, speaking Lashonhara. And now I realize that each of those three things are relational, that they, like theft means you're stealing from someone else, whether you do it um, obviously or or manipulatively or However, forbidden relations is obviously relational, and speaking Lashon Hara is about someone else. And so mm -hmm. I think the caution is to be very careful. Like you, like in actually in that sentence you just quoted, uh, 21, it says that. It says, Sanevatsa. So it talks about, you shall provide these capable men, men of truth, and then it says, Sonevatsa, hating unjust gain. So even in this yeah. sentence, we have don't steal. Like, don't That's pick right. guys who are going to steal in some way. Right. 
So that a kind of prefiguration of the Asera Tadibrot, right? Yeah. Like it prefigures some of the commandments right. that uh, we're going to hear later in this parsha. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot then too about purity, a very elevated form of cleanliness in the way that Moses tells people to prepare uh, for the theophany, right? They're to draw near the mountain, but not touch the mountain. They're to bathe. They're to abstain from sexual relations. Um, so there's already uh, a strong connection solidified in this parsha between spiritual and physical cleanliness. If you want the one, you have to maintain the other. Right. So going back to what we've started to talk about, about separation versus integration in, in community, um, I, I'd love to know what you think, because I'm, I'm, I, I can't sort of pass this out just yet but when you talk about they have to they have to go to the mountain they aren't allowed onto the mountain they aren't allowed to touch its border so th this is my this is my struggle now i don't know what to do with borders so when i when we studied when you and i studied anava when you and studied the trait of humility we understood that humility isn't uh, shrinking and pretending that you you're no good. You know, someone says, "Can you? You're a great pianist." Someone says, "Can you play the piano?" And you go, "No, no, I'm really not that good." That's shrinking. But but we learned that anava that humility is like, yeah, I can play because I'm a really good player, but my gift is from God, and so it takes the ego out of the equation. So that's going up to the line. So anava, humility is going right up to the line of your absolute potential. And I'm concerned now with the don't touch its border. When it comes to cleanliness, what does it mean about not going up to the line or going up to the line? I'm so glad you asked this question. This has bothered me. I hope you're not looking to me for illumination because you ain't going to get it from me. And here's why. Like if you've spent any time in the wilderness, you know that even with the most distinct volcanic formations, how do you know where the mountain begins and ends? It's not that simple to see. There's a gradual elevation, right, typically, that then gets more and more pronounced. And this may just be my rationalization, but it is extremely hard to know what the border of the mountain is. It is extremely hard to know with anava, with humility, where the line actually is. And I think this is actually suggestive of something that Rav Soloveitchik said in his work, Halachic Man. He said, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, that the Halachic human being comes with a set of pre-existing criteria which he or she then imposes upon the world because the borders in the actual world are impossible to, to verify without those external criteria. He gives the example of a stream. Does it fit the halachic definition of a stream? When you see a running body of water, you bring the halachic criteria to define it. You don't say, oh, that's a stream, and then try to make the halakhic criteria fit. In the same way, because we don't know where the border of a mountain is, we have to say, here shall be the border of the mountain. And with regard to cleanliness, 
You can justify your actions by saying, well, it's a it's a gradual line and I the line is kind of shaded and I approached and transgressed over some of the line, but I didn't go over all of the line. That's a rationalization. The human being has to create strict criteria so that all temptation is essentially fenced off. That's what I think. I think that the clear boundaries that the halakha creates are there because otherwise we can justify getting, trying to get whatever we want. Yeah. And I think that's why maybe at the end of the section on cleanliness in Masilaj Yisharim, the Ramchal says that the way you develop cleanliness is by reading, meaning learning and studying and implementing the law and ethics of Judaism. And that's why maybe we are such a, a rich religion in laws um, and he says it's because studiedly, oh, well, he doesn't say. Sifrei Devarim, page 161, says because study leads to action. So mm. I buy that. I understand. That's where Judaism sits. It's like we have a set of laws and ethics which come out very strongly now in this Pasha in Yitro. I'm concerned about my little everyday problems about cleanliness. So I have... For the last few years, I don't eat after eight o'clock at night for what I have decided are health reasons. And now I go swim competitive swimming on a Monday night. And by the time I get home, it's late and I'm starving. And so mm -hmm, I've now mm -hmm. taken to eating when I get home. So is that a slippery slope? Like it's, it's, it's a kind of a facile example. But these are the examples of which life is made. It's actually a great question because what you've done is you've elevated your physical efforts at, at a kind of physical purity in terms of physical conditioning. Mm -hmm. So we can't see things as disconnected from other things in our lives because you make the elevate. This is my view and I I'm no rabbi, but this is how I see it. Because you, Moja, make the effort at elevated physical conditioning, a form of purity, cleanliness, right? It creates other needs that you need to fulfill in order to continue those efforts. So you can't d divorce the caloric needs that you've created by swimming from... Uh, from your efforts at attaining cleanliness. In other words, the harder you strive, the more you're going to need to continue the upward striving. Your taking nourishment after swimming is vital to maintain the physical effort that you are making toward physical elevation. In other words, eat and be well, because you're going to need that energy. And that is the energy that you, Moja, are putting toward elevating yourself. Well, thanks for that blessing. I would add, okay, thank you. I can eat and be well, so long as I recognize that I'm eating and being well, so I can use my physical body for divine right. for divine purpose. Don't have the piece of chocolate cake because David said you could eat. That would not be <laughs> what I was talking about. Um, so, you know, nice try, buddy, but I'm not going to let you off that easy. I also wanted to say... One other thing about this parsha, I mean, we're getting close, I think, to the end of our, our self-allotted time, and this is one of the most significant parshiot in the whole Torah. We haven't even gotten to the main part of it, but um, there's 
there is a sense of separation. There's uh, God comes down on the third day. In uh, chapter 19, verse 14, Moses came down from the mountain to the people and warned the people to stay pure, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. And again, maintaining physical purity. And then on the third day, the theophany begins. As the morning dawned, there was thunder and lightning and a dense cloud. Now, the third day is in three days is a super important period of time in Torah. Um, uh, in the Akedah, Abraham and Isaac have to make a journey of three days. And three days of preparation and self-restraint are important for the act of uh, acceptance of the covenant. This again is I'm paraphrasing from the from the commentary in the Eighth Chaim. So, so there is in accepting a, a covenantal cleanliness. There is a sense of separation, separation from animal desires separation from physical impurity as defined in the Torah, and separation from one another even. You have to physically refrain in order to be in a pure enough state of body and mind to receive what God gives. Huh. Nice. I, I want to connect that to chapter 19, verse 2, mm -hmm. uh, and look at a Rashi with what you just said, because it says, the verse says, and when they departed from Rafidim and they came to the wilderness of Sinai, they encamped in the wilderness. And there Israel encamped before the mount, before the mountain. Right? And Rashi says, why do they have to say Rafidim again? Like we already had that earlier. We know that that's where they left. And so he says that the the um the second mention of it is essentially to paraphrase rashi the idea that when they left they left as one man with one heart or one person with one heart and so it's back to this whole idea or question of cleanliness as separation versus cleanliness as joining and i think that's our challenge as you say it's such a difficult thing to do to wow. say, at what point do I pull myself away so that I can cleanse myself? And at what point do I join with others so that I can cleanse myself? And I, I, I think that kind of leads me to what you just said about garments, that they cleansed their garments, they cleansed their clothes. And we know from, um, from the Tanya and from Kabbalah that when we talk about garments, we're talking about the garments of thought, speech, and action. Yes, exactly. And these Aserat Hadibot, these Ten Commandments, are cover all of those categories. This is as concise a summation of cleanliness as I think you can find in the Jewish spiritual and religious tradition. Some say that only the first two commandments were said. I'm the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me, that all the other commandments are contained in that. But really, um, what flows from that is a kind of both physical and ethical removal from the rest of the world. 
and I would say this is both the Jewish spiritual and ethical mission and the rotten root of anti-Semitism, because we are called upon to serve as a model and a and a sort of prophetic vanguard for the rest of humanity to remind of the need for ethical striving and spiritual uplift and that separates us that uh that is a claim to a spiritual striving that uh it comes along with chosenness and that puts a target on our back i hate to bring that into the discussion of cleanliness but I, it just occurred to me over and over again thinking about it this week that this kind of call to to global purification and elevation is uh, extremely vexing to people who would rather live and indulge their desires. Yeah, that's a big that's a big topic. That sorry, sorry to bring it up at the last minute. <laughs> no, it's it, it's good, and um, I just had an emotional reaction to it, and so it's hard for me to process right now. But I wonder if I could bring this back then, and maybe we could create some homework for ourselves and for let's do that. Um, so. Job says in the book of Job, Job says, if my mind has gone astray after my eyes, just to pull out a partial quote. And so I was thinking that if the eyes represent the senses, the five, if we just expand that to say sight is one of the five senses, but let's talk about all the senses, then the question is, can I monitor the way my senses urge after desire urge after something based on my desire and then stop for a moment and go to my intellect and ask myself is what i'm about to lean into through the senses going to cleanse me or 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 sully me wow that's such hard homework moja i think okay. i'm going to call in sick <laughs> See, okay. there i am there i am already <laughs> <laughs> rolling in the mire. So I, let me give you an example to see if I understand the homework you're giving. For me, what I tend to sink into right now anyway is anger. So I think about something that's a challenge and I get angry about it and I stew and it can happen and I don't even realize I've been doing it for four minutes when suddenly, is that, so is that the kind of, like, would that fall under the rubric of this homework? Well, no. So I guess it depends. Like if there was something in your five senses that triggers your anger, then yes. Um, and maybe it's a modified homework and we go with what you're saying as well. But but it sounded like you bring up a thought or a thought yes. comes up in your mind yes. that might be independent or not triggered by any of your five senses. And so I know we shouldn't do this, but I know in Buddhism, the sixth sense is the mind. Mm -hmm. so yeah. so we could expand what i'm saying and say the six senses including the mind so if thought comes up or any of the other five senses come up and pose a challenge to you then you stop and say okay am i about to do something that will sully or cleanse my soul mm -hmm. so yes i was okay I, so i'm an i'm an ex-engineer so i need things more concrete so i was uh -huh. thinking uh, you know, thought is too flaky. Or if right, right. So me, it's more like the piece of cake kind of thing. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'll think about it, but I think this is important homework to engage in because, um, and it could be that, that, uh, using the mind as the sixth sense for the purpose of this homework is a little too abstract. It usually is a physical thing that triggers the anger. It's a whole variety of things. For example, to give, to give a personal example right now, um, my mother's health is declining. She's a hundred years old. Um, her health has been declining for some time, but the decline is accelerating. And I find that to see her makes me angry. Uh, which which is a terrible thing to feel. I mean, it makes me sad too, but the first thing that comes up is anger. Uh, a, a whole variety of different kinds of anger. Anger at seeing her so vulnerable and sort of emaciated. Um, anger that she's going through this. Anger um, at myself for not being caring enough and an impatience with everybody around me that is triggered by this anger. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so the original... The original sensory trigger is the vulnerability and the failing health that I witness in my mother. Right. And pre-trigger is seeing your mother. Correct. So, sight. so it actually is it, That's right. it initiated through the five senses. That's right. Yeah. And then it is a challenge. And, you know, maybe we'll talk about this next week after the homework. But um, but anger comes up for you. And then we go into our Musa mind, into the intellect and say, what type of anger is it? Is it righteous anger, which is a good thing? Is it useful? Does it propel me towards cleanliness? Um, you know, if, if you, like God forbid, saw people around your mother not treating her in the most beautiful way that you want her to be treated, then maybe your anger is justified and it would be a cleansing process for you to allow that anger to flow. I think it's a great distinction. So I will work with that. And and what is going to be a trigger for you? Like what what can we expect you to say next week about the kinds of challenges you will face, if I may be so bold, as to make your private challenges part of this podcast? Absolutely. Well, you know that I have teenage girls in the house. Yes. That's, that's That says enough about what my challenge is going to be. Are there 72 of them or does it just feel that way? <laughs> Ah, this is great. This is really good stuff. But yeah. yes, um, I think it's actually going to be around relationships with my children, most likely. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. So we'll do that homework. We'll check in about it again next week. Some weeks um, we can dive deeply into Torah portions, and some weeks, as, as this week, um, we hit some high points and can never hope to do the Torah portion or the Midah justice, but I feel like we've had a really rich discussion that brings out some of the main themes with regard to the trait of Nikiut or cleanliness, and I think it's been a really wide-ranging and illuminating discussion for which I thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. I, I agree, and for me, I'm going to go away and think a lot more about what you quoted from Rabbi Soloveitchik, who you know, may, we might say is one of the furthest people away from Musa, but given this yeah. is given this is a Musa podcast, that's yeah. I think that's the big piece that I'm going to take away this week. Fantastic, so thank, you. thank you. Fantastic. So, thank you all again for joining us on another episode of Self Control Through Torah. I'm David Gottlieb, and I am Modia Silver. We'll see you Thanks. next. Bye bye.